Well, thank you for being here this morning. I invite you to turn, please, to Psalm uh, 56. The focus of this psalm this morning uh, can be summarized in two words, fear and trust. Fear has been defined as an unpleasant emotional response caused by the belief that something dangerous is about to happen uh, that can result in pain uh, or in much harm. It's kind of interesting that research uh, has shown that some of the top fears that individuals struggle with are uh, include, but they're not limited to these. Rejection, failure, loneliness, being judged by others, particularly our peers, uncertainty, change, and the fear of the unknown, particularly as it relates to something that is bad that will happen. I think sometimes we get the impression that uh, the people who are recorded in the scriptures were immune from fears uh, which paralyzed them or made them unstable or possibly even hindered them in their walk with God. Yet it's a repeated phrase throughout both the Old and New Testament when either a prophet delivered God's message or an angel appeared to reveal something that God was about to do or even the Lord himself, the oft-repeated phrase is, fear not, fear not. Well, Psalm 56 records for us David's response uh, to fear in a particular situation that he was facing. Uh, you'll note that in your Bible there should probably be a, a sort of a, a, a title or, or a, a sort of an explanatory note uh, before this psalm. And it gives some of the background to these psalms. Uh, not every psalm has that. Uh, scholars believe that these notations that were included by scribes were accurate in sort of putting the setting uh, to where this psalm may have originated. And you'll note here that uh, this psalm says this is a psalm of David. He wrote a number of the psalms that we have in, in the book of Psalms. And it, and it was in the time when uh, David uh, had gone to Gath uh, and was fleeing from uh, the Philistines. The actual historical setting of that is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Uh, and there's just a few things I wanted to highlight from that actual account so that we get a, a clear understanding of what David was facing and what he was fearing uh, when he penned these words. In Psalm 21, beginning at verse 10, the greater context is David who was fleeing from Saul. You recall that, that Saul was anointed the first king of Israel, God's people. Uh, he was rejected by the Lord because of his 
disobedience and his unbelief. And so then David was then anointed as the, the, his successor to be the next king of Israel. Well, Saul, uh, over time, became very suspicious of David uh, and put a price on his head and, and actually wanted to kill him. Uh, and so he pursued him with the armies uh, and with uh, different attempts on David's life. And during one of those uh, times where David was fleeing from the presence of Saul, he ended up leaving the borders of Israel and actually went to Achish, verse 10, who was the king of Gath. And this was in the Philistine uh, territory. Now, if you have read the early life of David, you'll recall that Gath was the hometown of a, a very large man by the name of Goliath, whom David had s slew by the power of God. And so when David was in this Philistine territory and in the city of Gath, uh, the servants of the king, Achish, uh, said, isn't this David the king of the land? It's kind of funny that even, even the nations around them recognized that David was to be the next king. And they, they remember some of the songs that were sung about this man. Uh, they were singing his, it says here, verse 10, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. That actually became a stumbling block to Saul, uh, who when he heard that for the first time said, and grumbled, well, they are giving more credit to David than to me, and became David's enemy uh, from that point forward. And when David heard that, that these Philistines were aware of his presence in the land and were, were, were looking at him and probably rumbling that they were going to try their best to take David out after he, after, afterwards, you know, he had slain, slain their champion, Goliath, so here's an opportunity to now take out David. It says, David took these words to heart, verse 12, and was very much afraid of the king uh, of Gath, who is Achish. So notice what David does. He's in this foreign land. He's in this city. He hears that his, his life is at stake. And verse 13 says, so he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman marking marks on the doors of the gates and letting saliva run down into his beard. And he had to fiend madness. Uh, and the result was that Achish said, uh, his servant said to him, verse 14, look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Uh, must this man come into my house? And then verse uh, 1 of chapter 22 says, So David left Gath and escaped to a cave of, known as Abdelam. So that's the, the background to, to this psalm. David is, is fleeing from Saul because there's a price on his head. Then he's fleeing Gath because he knows that, that they want to uh, take his life. Uh, and he has to do all he can, even humanly possible, maybe with a little bit of wisdom of acting like a madman that allowed him to escape. And now he's in a cave, and he doesn't know if he's going to, to live to see the light of the next day. And it's kind of interesting that uh, in this, even in this introduction before the psalm, that this is called a mictum. 
sometimes you have these notations at the beginning of a psalm that it's a that it's a mictum, uh, and and it's unsure as to the the exact meaning of this particular word. Many believe that it is a reference to a, a musical notation or a modulation. And possibly the way the word is used in the book of Isaiah in particularly, uh, a mictum was something that was engraved, specifically engraved in stone. And some have suggested that it has with it the implication that this is of great value. This is of great worth. Uh, we, we could put it in these terms, that this is a golden psalm. It, it's certified gold. Uh, it, it, it made the top of the charts, so to speak, since it is a song that was sung. Uh, and it, notice this, that it also says that, that it was to be sung, and, and my Bible has, uh, to the tune of, and I don't know what this tune is, a dove on distant oaks. Any of you know that song? Maybe you could hum a few bars for us this morning so that we know how it goes. Well, apparently David was using a popular song of that day, or at least one that was well-known, and was putting these words to it. Uh, and so it became something that they could easily learn and sing. But it's not just to learn a new song, it's to actually communicate truth. And notice what David says here. Um, David is facing a very real, clear, and present danger. Verse 2, he is, he is emphasizing the fact that he has adversaries, slanderers, enemies, foes. Uh, Saul is pursuing him. The enemies of Israel that hated God were pursuing him. Uh, maybe even others that just didn't like David were, were on the attack. A and their attacks were intended, as he says in verse 2, that they're attacking me in their pride. If you jump down to verse 5, it says, All day long they tryst my words. They are plotting to harm me. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, eager to take my life. David had to look around every corner, so to speak, because he never knew if he was going to be ambushed and someone was going to take his life. And I think it's kind of interesting that he, that he highlights the fact in verse 5 that they're twisting my words. They're coming at him in every possible way, even slandering him in that way. And you'll notice here that three times over, David emphasizes the fact that this is all day long, all day long, all day long. They are relentless. They are relentless. And the same is true uh, in our day, even among God's people today. That the enemy of our souls that is pursuing us and wants to see our demise is relentless. He continues day after day to pursue us, to trip us up, to keep us from fulfilling the purposes of God in our lives and his work through us. And notice this, that David in the midst of all these uncertainties, these fears that he has, he calls out to God. Did you catch that in verse 1? His, his prayer is set here in this song. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. And did you catch this? That here in David's prayer, set at the beginning of this psalm, that it is a humble plea for God's mercy. 
You see, David casts himself upon the mercies of God, understanding and knowing ultimately that his prayer is never in vain. And my friends, as believers in Jesus Christ and those who believe God's word, praying is never in vain. It's never in vain. You could almost say that David wrote this psalm as a follow-up to what he ended Psalm 55 with. Look at verse uh, 22 and 23 of Psalm 55, the, the psalm that comes right before this. Notice what he says here. Cast your cares upon the Lord and he will, he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Verse 23, but you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. And it's kind of interesting. David wrote those words. I'm not exactly sure when Psalm 55 was penned. It's, it's suggested that it's around a similar time or a similar time in David's life. God says, okay, David, you wrote those words. Maybe I'm going to give you a little circumstance to see if you really follow through with what you say you believe. And here David is calling out to God uh, and prayer. And David knew that he could take his fears to God and that God would help him in the midst of that. Notice the actions that David takes that become lessons for us. By the way, David probably not only had fear in this context, he probably had anxiety as well. I would suggest to you that fear and anxiety are related. They're joined at the hip. They're, they're like twin sisters that feed off of each other. Fear is that uncertainty and that emotional response that something dangerous or difficult will happen and anxiety becomes excessive and unfocused fear that just is persistent and nagging in our lives. But notice what David does. Look with me, if you would, uh, at verses 3 and 4. He says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. That is a choice that David made to trust in God. In verse 4 he says here, in, in God's word uh, that I praise. See, he was not only trusting in what he himself knew about God, he went back to God's word for a source of encouragement and help and instruction to him. What is written, what is recorded in God's word of God's work among his people in past accounts helped to spur on the faith of David that he himself could trust in God. And did you notice how there's a shift in what David declares? In verse 3 he says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. See, fears have been stirred up inside of me. I am anxious. I am fearful. I am afraid. And when that happens, I'm going to choose, O oh God, to put my confidence, my trust, my belief, my faith in you. And notice verse 4 says, in God whose word I praise, and notice the shift here, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. Because David was trusting in God himself, he knew that his fears could be overcome and laid to rest. 
In fact, he was so confident that he says he had this trust in God that he would not be afraid of what even mortal men could do to him. Let me ask you, is your trust in God that confident that you never fear what someone else might say or do to you? In fact, this became a refrain uh, by David. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says the same thing. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, see, he's trusting what he knows from, about God from his word, and that's causing him and moving him to put his confidence in God. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now, you know that we sometimes have it, particularly in, in this, the Commonwealth of Virginia, license plates that say, in God we trust. The motto of, uh, of the United States. Uh, here's one for all of us as, as Christ followers. In God I trust. See, it could be collective of a people, but how is it true of you personally? In God I trust. Is that the motto of your life? Even when you're facing difficulties, even when you're facing those, those trials, even when you're facing those things that cause you great consternation and fear. And let me ask you the question, this question as well. What are you maybe fearing today? Possibly a, a health report that you're waiting on? in which you've had tests with the doctor and they're trying to determine maybe a particular health issue that you are struggling with? Maybe your fear is your next step after you graduate, whether that be from high school or college. Maybe you fear your job security as to whether or not you will be able to continue in your present work. Maybe you fear the economy which is so uncertain and the impact that it will have on your ability to live and function. Maybe it is your, uh, your retirement and your income, considering that the economy at the present is sort of a question mark. Maybe you and I fear the loss of freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. Possibly your fears might be the uncertainties of life. Maybe you even fear in your walk with God that you might fall away or that when your day comes at the point of death and you pass on into eternity that Christ will reject you. Or maybe you even fear as a Christ follower that you will endure persecution for Jesus' sake. You notice that David says in Psalm 56 and verse 8, that God is not indifferent to the things that cause us fear nor the things that bring us tears. He says, record my lament. And in my, my translation, this NIV is a little bit different, but some translations put it this way, and I think it's a little bit more accurate, when David says, put my tears in your bottle. You, you say, that's kind of odd. But the practice of the culture of, of that day among some was to take a, a, little, a little flask, a little, 
a little tiny bottle, if you would, and when a person shed a tear, particularly uh, at the death of a loved one or someone significant, they would catch that tear in that, in that little, little uh, flask or bottle, and then they would bury it with that, that loved one at the time of death. And David is saying, Lord, you record my lament. You put my tears in, in, your, uh, uh, in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? He's, he's saying this as a question, but it's a declarative statement, knowing that God takes note of the things that bring us tears and the things that we fear as well. And he knew that God was not indifferent to his suffering. And David shows great confidence, not in himself, but in the Lord. And his confidence was this, that he knew that God would deliver him in his present circumstance. Look at verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. Well, who's he calling to? He's calling to God. And here's, the, here's what he says. This I know that God is for me. And, and David, is, by way of example, is saying to, to you and to me, that as believing people who love and follow Jesus Christ, that we are to understand, you believer, that God is for you. God is for you. David understood this from, from previous uh, experience. He's, it's a declarative statement. I know, not I hope so, or I think so, but I know it's a declarative statement that David makes in his present circumstances because of realizing God's past faithfulness. God is for me. David has previous experiences with God that encouraged him in his present reality. The Apostle Paul uh, in the New Testament also uh, declared this. If you look with me for a moment at 2 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 10, he writes, as he's saying to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. That was verse 9. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Sencrius has gone to Galatia, Titus to Delmalta. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful for me in this ministry. I sent to Tychicus to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at, at, at Troas and my scrolls and especially the, the parchments. Verse 14, Alexander the metal worker has done me great harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. See, at the end of his life, Paul was facing all these difficulties, abandonment by some, people attacking him on other fronts, uncertainty. He's alone in this Roman prison, not sure of his life, knowing that it's drawing to a close and what that will mean. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against him. But notice this. Paul doesn't give up and lose heart and be overwhelmed by his fear. He says, verse 17, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Now notice this. 
and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Whether that was a spiritual attack that God had delivered him or Paul seeing even in these circumstances being an attack against him and the Lord delivered me from the lion's mouth. And notice this confidence he had. Because of the past experience he had with God, he could say confidently as did David and every believer, the Lord will rescue me from every evil, evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and forever. And David, back in Psalm 56, is saying, I want you to understand as you sing this psalm to God that God is for you. Romans chapter 8 makes this very clear, beginning at verse 31 through 34. If God be for us in Jesus Christ, who can be against us? It doesn't matter the accusations the world brings against you. It doesn't matter the slanders that are against you. It may not include even the, the attacks that people are levying against the church and, uh, and against followers of Christ in this day. If God be for us, who can be against us? There is a victory that Christ has assured for us who are in Jesus Christ. And God is for us. And David realized this. Even in the midst of his, fear, his fears, David may not have felt this, but he chose to set his mind and his heart upon God. In fact, David wrote in Psalm 23 these words, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And see, that's the second point that he wants uh, us to understand. Not only that God is for you, but that God is with you in the midst of your fears. Notice what God said even to ancient Israel in, in Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 13. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servants. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Could we not, in one sense, read those words and say that that is true of the New Testament believer in Jesus Christ, who has chosen us and made us God's very own through the redemptive work of Christ? And then notice what the prophet goes on to say, God's word to his people. So do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, God is not only for us in Jesus Christ, God is with us in the midst of of those things that cause us fear, that make us afraid, so that we can have a confidence and an assurance in God himself. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews put it this way, picking up even on David's words here in Psalm 56. Notice that he says here, Psalm 13, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. 
Well, isn't money that which makes the world go round, as the saying goes? Isn't that one of the places that maybe we fear the most of not having sufficient means to care for ourselves? It's not just unique to us in this present day. Apparently, in the first century, believers were struggling with some of the same things. But what was the exhortation to God's people? Be content with what you have because why? God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And and notice this. You could say confidently then, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You see, the cure for fear is putting your trust and your confidence in God, who is not only with you, He is for you. And lastly, I would suggest that this psalm also indicates that not only is God with you, and not only is God for you, but number three, that God is your hope. God is your hope. Psalm 37, uh, excuse me, 39 verse 7 was declarative. My hope is in you, Lord. My hope is in you. It was declarative. And notice what David says at the end of this psalm. Look with me back in Psalm 56, verse verse 12. I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you. Right as David was writing these words, he was in a cave. He was on the run. He was nowhere near the tabernacle of God where he was to sacrifice and give worship to God. But yet he was confident of the future of one day being back at that tabernacle and and fulfilling his vows and his promises to worship God the prescribed way. That was a future hope. That wasn't his present circumstances, but yet he had confidence and trust in God that God would see him through that one day he would be back at the tabernacle worshiping God with God's people. In fact, verse 13 also expresses this hope. Look at it with me. For you have delivered me from death. See, that's his his past experiences. And every believer in Jesus Christ can say those very same words. God, through Jesus Christ, you have delivered me from death. Because he takes us as fallen creatures, dead in our trespasses and sins, and through Jesus Christ makes us alive to him and gives us salvation in Jesus Christ. You have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. God not only delivers us from death, but he also keeps us in this life. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his throne without spot or blemish, be glory both now and forevermore, says Jude. And notice this, not only is there a future, uh, past deliverance, not only is there a present help, but there is also this declaration that I may walk before God in the, the light of life. That I'm not going to be relegated to this dark cave indefinitely. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but I know the one who is the light, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus is that light of life. We're told that in John chapter 1 and verse 4, in him was the light of life. And that light was the light of men. This is the same Jesus who declared in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
And the focus, once again, moves us away from that which we are fearing, whether it is imagined or it is real, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And David was confident that God would see him through and bring him through even this difficulty, even these fears, and one day he would walk in freedom and in light and in joy and in peace once again. You say to yourself, well, I can't handle this situation that I'm in. That's the best place to be. The disciples were on a boat and a storm came up and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. And they come to him and they say, Mark chapter 4, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus stands up and, and rebukes the winds and the storm calms down. And then he rebukes them and says, where is your faith? Well, <laughs> Naturally speaking, Lord, I think we, we have a right to be afraid, don't we? And really, he's calling them to put their trust and their confidence in him, even when it appears from a natural standpoint, given that, that scenario, that the Lord is asleep and unconcerned. We need to be reminded that God is for us, God is with us, and that God, through Jesus Christ, is our living hope. And so our cry to him is, is that when I am afraid, I will trust in him and in God whose word I praise. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the encouragement, the challenge, the reminder of your word from David's life and experience. Thank you that the Holy Spirit saw fit to inspire him to write this psalm. Particularly for us, Lord, living in this 21st century with so many things, Lord, that can cause us to be afraid and to have great fears, even anxieties, O oh God. May the Holy Spirit teach us to learn well the lessons of your word, the, the encouragement of your word, to know that in Christ you are for us. In Christ you are with us. And in Christ you are our hope. Help us, Father, to trust you. Help us to walk with you. Help us to, help us to live out these truths from your word in the power of your spirit. And Lord, in this we will continue to give you our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.